You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. This morning, we I'm here to encourage you to live sent. That's, that's the title of the message this morning. What I mean by live sent is to live in such a way that reflects the fact that you've been transformed by the power of the gospel and you are sent on the mission that Jesus has called us to. Not all of us are called to go to St. Joe or to Elkhart or other places that we may be called to leave our location and go, but we are all called to live in such a way that reflects the fact that Jesus has sent us on a mission. So that's what we are gonna talk about this morning. So let's take a look at our text this morning. We're in Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two. Why don't you turn to the book of Philippians. Trent was in Philippians chapter 2 last week, talked about Timothy sending out our kids, and today we're going to be talking about Epaphras here in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So this morning we're going to look at three different character qualities of living sent. So the first one is purpose to be sent on a mission purpose to be sent on a mission. Look at verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus. Paul was sending Epaphroditus, sending someone on a mission, but he wasn't just sending anyone. He was sending someone who had some unique qualities, who was intentional about his life. Look what it says about his life. He's known as my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. Now, if you look at these qualities, brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, none of them are, I was called to be an apostle. None of them display a man who simply walked and his shadow saw people get healed. You see a guy who has character qualities for sure, but he's an average guy. He's a regular guy. And what I want you to hear this morning is that God uses average everyday people to accomplish his mission. Do not believe the lie that because you don't have some gift that you think is special that God can't use you. Of course not all of us are going to have a gift like Pastor Trent to preach the gospel up front like this to hundreds, thousands of people. 
But God uses ordinary people who live devoted lives and are willing to go. God uses ordinary people who live devoted lives and are willing to go. This guy was a normal guy. Brother indicates he he was a friend. You certainly can be a friend and have had others be a friend to you. He was a fellow worker. He simply agreed with the mission that Paul was on and, and walked alongside him. He was a fellow soldier. That doesn't mean that he was ripped like Captain America and was six foot six and he has a big shield and he's going to go out and fight people. What his meaning is, no, he was the kind of guy that was a part of the rank and file of all the Christians who follow King Jesus and follow his lead. He wasn't uniquely special. He was a messenger and minister. He was someone who was passionately dedicated to help others. Something that it was done at his own expense. He was selfless. He was tireless. He was sacrificial. He was humble. He was the kind of person that you wouldn't want to let go. The kind of person that you wouldn't want to let go from your church. There's a couple that goes to this local church. You may not know their names. Their names are John and Misha Sager. Uh, they've been around for a little while. They just started leading a college-age small group, and they're ministering to the needs of folks here. Well, at one time, that couple was in Chicagoland. And at one time, I was in Chicagoland, and they went to the church that I was one of the pastors at. And John and Misha display these character qualities. John was a fellow brother. We would meet for lunch and he would encourage me in the Lord. We'd walk together doing ministry and I could have said these very things about them, but yet God called them to come here, to live in this area, to minister in this context. They were the kind of people we did not want to leave, but yet God called them to go What was unique about them wasn't that they had some special, unique gift. They were devoted to Christ. Adoniram Judson said this. He said, the motto for every missionary, whether preacher, printer, or schoolmaster, ought to be devoted for life. Devoted for life. You don't have to go to a far-off land to preach the gospel, to be devoted for life. We are called to live intentionally. Epaphras lived intentionally, displayed these character qualities. That's why Paul could send him out. We're all called to live that way. Are you the kind of person that your pastors would not want to send away, but yet they'd be willing to send because you display these character qualities. I'd encourage you, go to your small group leader. Go to one of your pastors and ask them, do I, do I display these character qualities? Or, or am I living for myself? Does, do I not stick out from those who who don't even go to church or don't even know Christ? Or do I display someone who's passionate about Jesus so much so that I'm devoted to the things that are most important? 
Why would we want to live intentionally? Why would I encourage you to live purposefully, to live purposefully, to be sent on a mission? Because Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. He is returning. It is absolutely going to happen. He doesn't know when it's going to happen. The Father knows when it's going to happen, but he's going to return. And so we don't have much time left. So we need to stop messing around, playing games. We need to live intentionally because Jesus is returning and people have not responded to the gospel. That's why we purpose to live on mission. That's why we would want to look like a man like Epaphroditus and then be willing to go. So let's purpose to be sent on mission. Number two, yearn to be sent for the sake of others. Yearn to be sent for the sake of others. Take a look at verse 26. Verse 26 says, For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. I want to read that again. Look at your Bibles. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. So he was worried that they were worried. That's what was going on there. Like when you read that, you're like, yeah, that, that's what was happening there. He's, he's really worried that they were worried about him. He's the kind of guy that displays Philippians 2, 3, and 4 that says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. My late brother-in-law, who went home to be with the Lord just two days before we moved to St. Joe to plant the church there, he learned about four or five months before we moved here that he had a terminal brain tumor that they couldn't operate on. And when I would go to Muncie, Indiana, which is where I thought I was going to be planting a church, which we all know, uh, didn't happen, planted in St. Joe, but I was going there every week, and every week I would visit my brother-in-law, Vince, and every week I would go thinking, I need to go make sure I make time to go pray with him, to encourage him, because he had five children, and obviously this was overwhelming for their family, but you know what happened every single time I went to visit Vince? Every single time I went to visit him, he cared for me. I would sit down and start talking with him, wanting to process things with him because, you know, I'm the pastor and I'm a church planner. I'm supposed to care for people. And he would care for me. He'd ask me questions of how I was doing. He'd encourage me with the scriptures. We'd end up talking about gospel conversations. And I would end up leaving going, did I actually care for Vince or did he care for me? That's what would happen. Even to the last few months of his life, when his body was just breaking down because of the medications that he was on just weakened his body that preserved his life a little bit longer, but to the degree where he would break bones in his back just by coughing. And even then, he'd just be sitting on the couch, couldn't do much else. What would he say? How are you doing? How are things going with the church plant? How are you encouraged? 
That's what he did. He thought of other people before he thought of himself. The interesting thing is Vince was like that before he got cancer. That was the mark of his life. And he cared about others. He gave his life so that others could be sent. Or he went places. He went to India at different points in his life so that he could see the gospel go forward there. I want to be like Epaphroditus. I want to be like Vince when I grow up. So how do we be like that? How is it you encounter these people and they make a big difference in your life? How can we be like that? Well, I'm going to share five practical ways that we can be like Epaphroditus. Now, I don't think they're going to be on the screens because I didn't do my homework in time to get them that. So it's not their fault that it's not up there, uh, but it's here in my notes. And so if you're taking notes, just listen real close. So the first one is this. How can I be like Epaphroditus? The first one is life transforming. You're going to be like, wow, write this down. Trust in Jesus. Okay? If you don't understand that you are separated from God and that you need a Savior whose name is Jesus who came and went to the cross to pay the penalty for your sins and repent and believe in him. If you are not in that place, you're living for yourself, you're living apart from God and you're not going to care about other people. Of course you're not going to want to go on the mission because you're on your own mission for yourself. So I want to encourage you, if you've never trusted in Jesus, if you are aware you are living your life for yourself, and no wonder it's not satisfying because you were never created to glorify you or you were created to glorify God. I want to talk to you before you leave here today. All the, any of the pastors want to talk with you or the leaders. We want to pray with you. But if you have trusted in Jesus, the first place that you go, you're like, I want to, I want to live sent, is to go to Christ, not to Jamie's list of five things to do. Spend time at the feet of Jesus, delighting yourself in him, being aware of what Christ has done for you. That's going to make the biggest difference. So trust in Jesus. Number two, confess that you've been selfish and repent. If you don't display these character qualities, if you don't have a longing for the mission to go forward and others, just go to the Lord and say, God, I've been selfish. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can do that today and you can be a part of his mission today and he will change your heart today. So trust in Jesus, confess if you've been selfish and repent, turn from that. And thirdly, be thankful. Be thankful for what you have been given. Look around at what God has done. He's provided a, a church where there are pastors who love Jesus more than anything else. He's provided leaders who are servants that have been caring for you. Be aware of all that God is doing. I had the privilege of going to Liberia this summer for the first time, and I met a church planter by the name of Henry. Henry is going to be planting a church through an organization called Africans Reaching Africa. I think there's a prayer card out at the table by where the shirts and stuff are. You want to get one of those so you can be praying for these church planters because we have discovered through relationships that we have in Liberia that Liberians can go to 15 different African countries without a visa. Can you say open doors for the gospel? 15 different countries. 
It's hard enough for me to get in Liberia and I'm tall and white and funny looking and, and I just don't fit in there. But these guys can freely go to share the gospel. Well, Henry's one of these guys. And Henry, whenever you talk to Henry, he's got a smile on his face like you're going to get ice cream in five minutes. Like a little kid, like he's always smiling and he's talking about things. And he was telling me about places that he's been and some places that guys might go to, to take the gospel. He was telling me about a place that I think is in Mali that is so hot that your nose can start bleeding because it's so hot. And then he's still got the smile on his face. He's like, yeah, like we, we don't actually take our beds inside. We bring them outside uh, at the beginning of the night and we take them in about 2 a.m. because it's finally cool enough to sleep inside. And I'm like, why would you want to go there? I mean, it's, do your nose bleed? Like, what are you kidding? It's like, Henry, why? Why would you go there? What, what is it that's motivating you to go? Henry said, Jamie, there were those who one time brought the gospel to us here in Liberia. And I need to take it to them. And he had great joy because he was aware of what had been done for him. Be aware first of what's been done for you in Christ. Be aware of what has happened even here. And we get to be here because there were a bunch of people that sat in someone's basement and prayed. And now 10 plus years later, there's all this and there's a church that's planting churches and seeing people go to far off lands. Remember that that's what God has done. Let that help you to yearn to serve others and think of others more than you think of yourself. Fourthly, touch the need and get dirty. Touch the need and get dirty. I'm not talking about necessarily getting physically dirty, though it may be that. I'm talking about being someone like Epaphroditus. If you were to turn the page uh, to Philippians 8, uh, 4, verse 18, Paul says, I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. So Epaphroditus is with Paul right now. Paul's talking about him going back, but he had been with the people of Philippi. He had seen what their life was like. He had seen the needs. No wonder when they were worried about him, he was more concerned about them than he was himself because he had been there. He had touched what was going on there. He had experienced it. As I told you, I went to Liberia this summer for the first time. I did not want to go. And I'm serious. I didn't want to go. I don't like traveling. Large guys with long legs don't fit in planes that are smaller and smaller. I, we had like six or eight weeks before we were going to go. When I found out about the opportunity, you know, we had to get everything together, passport shots, visas, all that stuff. I didn't pray for any of it. I'm not joking. I didn't because I really didn't want to go. I was like, well, you know, some of these things could go awry. We won't have to go. Well, I happened to go with another guy from our church who was praying and God answered every single one of his prayers and everything got answered. Everything was ready to go and we went to Liberia. 
I also went with Kevin Corhorn from this church. If you know him, you know he was praying that everything would go well, and he was really excited that I didn't want to go and that I was going. <clears throat> but even though I didn't want to go, the Lord had me go, and I went. And when I was there, I was overwhelmed. It's the fourth poorest country in the world. But the thing that was overwhelming wasn't as much the fact that kids were running around, some of them without pants on because they were just glad to have one shirt, or the fact that people ate one meal a day if they made enough money to go buy that meal. That wasn't the hardest thing. The hardest thing was hearing stories about false gospels that are preached there, prosperity gospel that's preached there that are calling people to give their money to things that aren't the gospel going forward people who don't have money, hearing stories about pastors that will plant churches so they can get an income will make you sick. People who are living life in a country that's all screwed up, but the one thing that they need is they need the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And seeing that need changed my perspective. It didn't just change my perspective about Liberia. It changed my perspective about St. Joe and about South Bend and about everywhere I go. So going somewhere and getting dirty isn't just going to affect how you think about that place. It's going to affect how you think about the mission everywhere. So get dirty. I mean, practically around here. Do you know that we're planting a church in Elkhart? We're going to plant a campus. Did you know that? Raise your hand if you knew that. Oh, like most everybody raised their hand. So we're planting a church there. So now you all know that we're planting a campus there to be an autonomous church someday. Go to Elkhart on a Sunday afternoon or somewhere in the county. Drive around. Pull off to the side of the road. Get out of your car and pray and say, God, what are you doing here? What are the needs here? Let your heart be broken. Do it in South Bend. Come up to St. Joe where we are. Go into Benton Harbor across the river. Let God speak to you. Maybe God will call you to go, but he absolutely will change your perspective on the gospel and you will stop thinking about you and you'll start thinking about the mission because when you see the mission, when you touch the mission, you want to see the mission fulfilled. So touch the need and get dirty. So trust Jesus, confess, be thankful, touch the need. And lastly, uh, number five, spend a season serving. Now, that's not the end of the sentence. Thought I'd give you the easy part first. Spend a season serving where you are stretched out of your comfort zone. Now, some of you are like, hold on. Just, just leave the first part. I can do the first part. I can serve. But the comfort zone part, I, I don't, you know, where do you get off coming from St. Joe telling me I need to get out of my comfort zone? Spend a season serving where you're stretched out of your comfort zone. Don't, don't make the leaders of this church announce where the needs are. Be the kind of church that constantly pastors the leaders and says, hey, where's there an opportunity to serve? I want to I meet the need. I'm aware there are needs. I'm aware where gospel ministries happen. I want to do that. Think about serving for a season in Elkhart as they get launched. We had some folks from here that intentionally said, hey, we're going to come up for a year. There was a couple that was sitting right here, the Chapmans, who came up for the first year of Harvest St. Joe. They, they did our youth ministry. 
They came on Sundays. They drove up in the snow. They drove up one Sunday when, when the husband was like sick and throwing up. And he, he, and well, we told him, hey, go, just go back. We don't, we're good. We'll figure it out on that Sunday. But they were so willing to come, but they served for a season. Maybe you serve for a season. Maybe that's the stretch for you. Maybe the stretch for you is serving in Harvest Kids. Some of you are like, I'm not serving in Harvest Kids. Have you seen the little humans that run around in there? <laughs> there are fluids that come out of their bodies that get on you. I don't know that I want to serve in Harvest Kids. That may be the stretch for you. Friends, let me tell you about Harvest Kids. Where else do you get the opportunity to gather a group of unbelievers that will sit in front of you and let you preach the gospel to them every week of the year. Where else can you do that? In Harvest Kids. That's what we get to do every week. Because our, our Harvest Kids, it's not childcare. It's a ministry. We preach the gospel there. We are examples for those kids so that one day when they have the opportunity to respond to Christ, they'll be like, I know what that looks like. And there are other ministry areas of the church. Maybe it's sound. Maybe it's serving on the welcome team. Maybe it's serving as a small group leader. Some of you need to be small group leaders and you're dragging your feet because you're like, no, I'm not called to do that. You know, there's other people that are called to do that. God's given you all gifts. He's given all of you gifts. Will you look at your neighbor and say, God's given you gifts? God's given you gifts. God has given you gifts to serve his body. In, in Ephesians, it says, when each joint is working properly, it makes the body grow. You are necessary for the advancement of the gospel through this local church. Everyone is necessary and useful in the hands of the king. So take that risk and serve. Take that step Think about the others. When you think about the others, you will do it. it teens, are there, are there any teens or college students here? Any, anybody willing to raise their hand? <laughs> there you go. Spend a year or two after you graduate helping a church be planted. I'm not saying consider it. I'm saying just, just do it. Tell your parents ahead of time, pray with them about what that looks like, but you're in a season where you aren't tied down by a lot of things in life and you could be a huge injection of energy and vitality into a church that's gonna need a lot of energy to get a lot done for the kingdom. And those of you who are empty nesters, don't think that, okay, I'm just gonna cheer on the young people, I'm gonna get some money for them, they can go. You need to go too. Your kids are grown. Use the first two years of your retirement to go serve on a church plant. I mean, what else are you going to do? <laughs> Seriously, like, you have, you have wisdom, you have money. Church plants need money. They, they do. I, I can assure you of that. You have stories of God's faithfulness that young people need to hear. When things get hard, they're going to need you to tell them. God is faithful. He can do it. You are equipped to go. There was a couple in our campus that I talked to right after I got back from Liberia. They're, they're empty nesters. Their kids are maybe about 10 years younger than I am. 
And she went to Liberia when she was in college uh, a few years ago. We won't share her age or her name. But she was there for five weeks, so she's just like, oh, I'd love to go back sometime. So I came back. I was, Liberia, it's exciting. Hey, what, what, do you, what do you guys think about this idea? It would be really great if we could have some folks from our church on the ground in Liberia that live there. I don't know what this looks like, but what do you guys think about that idea? And they were like, hey, if that ever comes about, let us know. And I was like, hey, hey, I'm, I'm serious, actually. I'm not joking about it. And, and the husband looks me right in the eye. He goes, I'm not joking either. Because they know what the need is. They look here, they look at their season, and they're like, yeah, we're willing to go. I don't know what will happen with that. Pray for them. Pray for us. It would be great to send folks to Liberia at different times and to other places, certainly. But be willing to go. But the way that you're going to be willing to go is see what the need is and let God break your heart. So even if you don't go, you're certainly going to pray. You're going to give. You're going to be a part of the mission. I know if you don't come to St. Joe, which I think it would be great if you all came to St. Joe. In fact, we voted in the other two services and they said, let's send, let's send the third service to St. Joe. <laughs> you know, they did. I lied. I mean, you know, I lost. Uh, sorry. I'm not trying to manipulate you, kind of, sort of. <laughs> but when you're willing to go, God changes uh, your heart about those things. We're going to have a unique relationship as churches. As you have sent us out, there's always going to be a unique partnership, gospel partnership. Not just in current seasons, but in future seasons. We're going to still be a part to help Elkhart get going. There's something God's doing there. But why does that happen? Because you were a part. You saw the need and it's changed everything. And don't avoid it. Even as I've challenged you, whatever season of life you're in, if you think about Jonah, you know, God called him to do something and he didn't want to do it. It didn't turn out real well for him for a while. But let's, let's be willing to go. When God gives you the gut-level longing for others, no one will have to ask you to go or have to ask you to serve. You'll be the one who's going to be asking to serve or be sent. So get the gut level longing when you think about others and yearn to be sent. Number three, risk to be sent and hold nothing back. Risk to be sent and hold nothing back. Look back at the text, verse 30. For he nearly died. That's not he maybe died or he's almost dead or he just looked like he was going to be dead. No, it's really like he almost died. Paul was so grateful that he didn't die because of the way that he ministered to them, but he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life. How did he almost die? Because he was willing to put himself in harm's way for the sake of the gospel. Not in a way that was irresponsible, but yet he saw the need so much that the risk wasn't really a risk for him because he believed to live as Christ and to die as gain. So he said, no, I'm going to go do the work that needs to get done, and it doesn't matter what the risk is. It's worth taking because Jesus is worth it. He risked his life for something far more valuable than money or possessions or titles or status. 
because he counted everything as loss for the sake of Christ. There's another guy in Liberia by the name of Francois that I met when we were there. Francois came from a French-speaking country. That's why Francois, you see the name, he spoke French. He spoke six languages. And one day Francois and I were talking and walking on the road, and he said, I want to be brave, Jamie. I want to be brave. I was like, yeah. He said, I want to be brave like Abraham who put his son on the altar. He was willing to do anything for the Lord. And as we got to talking, he told me a story of in his country when before he came to Liberia, there was a man who was wanting to kill another woman and he actually chased her all the way to the police station. And at the police station, the police were trying to sort it out and they were like, no, we can't make the decision here. We're gonna send you back over to this other place and they can make the decision. And Francois realized if they would send them away, surely the woman would die. The man would find a way to kill her. He's like, no, why don't you send the man with me? I want to talk with him. I can, I can convince him. And they said, the only way we're going we're gonna to release this man is if you agree that if we release this man and he kills this woman, that you will go to jail for him. And Francois said, yes, I will take this man. So he brings the man to his home. And because he was willing to face the consequence for this man, this man was willing to listen to Francois. He was like, why would you do that? Well, this is a great gospel opportunity. And Francois shared the gospel with him. Sadly, the man never repented. And he died in his sin. But I can tell you this, that woman is still alive today. Because Francois saw the risk and said, it, this is worth taking because this man doesn't know Christ and this woman's life is worth it. So as we consider risks, no, it's really just a calculated risk because if to live is Christ and to die is gain, no matter what risk we're taking, we're gonna win at the end. Pastor Trent last week shared about sending your kids, right? Equipping them to send them on the mission. I want to ask you, are you a compelling example of someone who has taken risks and sacrificed for Christ? As you prepare your kids to go, are they going to be like, yeah, of course we would go because that's what my parents do. Of course we would take those risks because Jesus is worth it. Consider that for yourself. Are you holding back? What risks is God calling you to take? Adoniram Judson said this. He said, there is no success without sacrifice. If you succeed without sacrifice, it's because someone else has suffered before you. If you sacrifice without success, it's because someone will succeed after. Friends, we are bearing fruit here now because someone sacrificed before. And you may sacrifice now and not even see the fruit, but, but there will fruit that will, will come from it because of your sacrifice. You making the sacrifice isn't about getting a badge of honor. I've done something special. It's about Jesus. It's about People forgetting your name and remembering his name. That's what it's about. 
So as we think about the risks that we may be called to take, no, we're taking them so that the name of Jesus will be known. Let's give everything so that Jesus' name will be known. Risk to be sent and hold nothing back. I want to leave you with this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He said, if by excessive labor we die before reaching the average age of man, worn out in the master's service, then glory be to God. We shall have so much less of earth and so much more of heaven. It is our duty and our privilege to exhaust our lives for Jesus. We are not to be living specimens of men in fine preservation, but living sacrifices whose lot is to be consumed. Friends, don't leave anything on the table. Don't let there be anything left in your bank account, any energy left in your body when Jesus calls you home. Leave it all on the table because he is worth it. Think about how you were dead and now you've been made alive and there's a great need and there's great cost, but we're all called to live sent. We're all called. I know some of you are gonna be called to go be a part of Elkhart because they're gonna need you and God wants to use you. Some of you are going to be part of other church plants that we're going to be a part of. Some of you may still come to St. Joe. I'm going to still make that pitch no matter what. I'm just used to it. I come here. I ask everybody to come. Just come. I didn't ask Trent. I did ask Andrea, but I didn't ask Trent. <laughs> but I told Andrea she probably shouldn't come. That probably would not be good. But why do I ask that? I know it's funny when we say that. I'm asking that because I believe that every Christian should know where they're called because they've spent time praying and fasting because Jesus is worth it and we need to spend our lives intentionally for the sake of the gospel and leave nothing on the table. So what has God called you to? Right now, I'm not gonna call you forward and have everybody come here and pray because what I'm asking you to do is go and pray. Let it sink in and give yourself to the work that God's called you to because I know he's gifted you and called you all to do something. And let's leave everything on the table and live sent. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would help the people here forget anything that I've said that's not from you. God, that you would help them to remember the truth from your word and remember the example of Epaphroditus, a man who was given for the sake of the gospel because he was transformed by the power of the gospel because of what Jesus has done. I pray, God, that you would fill everyone here with your spirit to take the gospel to the places that you've gifted them to take the gospel to. Even if it stretches them out of their comfort zone, God, I pray that this church would plant more churches that plant more churches that plant more churches. God, would we spend ourselves. God, give them the grace. Give them the energy that they need when it looks like there's nothing left. God, would you give them more grace? 
and help them, whether it's to be a small group leader, to serve for the first time, to go to Liberia or wherever they're called to go. Would it be said of the Christians from this church, they live sent. They have every reason to be comfortable and sit and soak, and yet they've said, Jesus, take me, use me. May I spend myself completely for you. Would you do that here in our midst, God, and bring much glory to your name. We ask all this, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said, amen.